Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. Yes, it's a new name. It's new artwork. It's a new release schedule. And I'm uh, still Scott Pianowski. We're going to be coming at you five days a week, Monday through Friday until the regular season ends. So we're going to give you all sorts of fantasy football wall-to-wall coverage. Uh, Liz, Matt, Andy, Dalton, and myself. We're going to be getting guests from the industry in August before we settle into our regular season routine. Look, the goal here is simple. Let's get you as informed as possible for your drafts, get you ready for this very unusual 2020 season. Very easy to settle into group thinking fantasy. So if you listen to the same analysts all the time, so you're just we're going to get all of us in the rotation again. We're going to get you some people that maybe you don't know, get you some new voices out here. We think it's going to be the best way to get you ready to have a successful fantasy season. And of course, Yahoo Fantasy Football is open for business. Uh, many voices as possible, as many philosophies as possible. We can't guarantee you'll win your league, but you'll have the best and most diverse voices giving you what you need to become a smarter, more informed fantasy manager. And, and look. You want to get informed, man. Ian Harkitz is is somebody you should be aware of. You're probably familiar with the fine work he's been doing at Roto World the last couple of years. He's now with PFF and just killing it on Twitter. I Harkitz, H-A-R-T-I-T-Z, is going to be with us tonight. Ian, how you doing? Doing good, man. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it's always a uh, always a fun time in the Twitter streets, uh, especially in July. But you know, tentatively hoping that we can actually get some real football to talk about sooner rather than later, man. I have had enough about t- tackling these same offseason storylines for the last seven or so months. Obviously, still got another month or so to do it, but excited to finally get some live action. Hopefully, coming up. Yeah, I'm excited too. Um, I, I feel like we have to start with you know, kind of the elephant in the room. I mean, obviously, th- there's a virus going on. There's a global pandemic going on. We saw Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's value get spiked a few days ago because Damian Williams is going to be playing for the Chiefs this year. Uh, Matt Stafford was placed on the coronavirus reserve list this weekend. I should mention we're taping Sunday night, August 2nd. Uh, there's some news out of Jacksonville that sounds like um, Gardner Minshew may have covid before we get into specific values of some of those guys, just how do we, I don't even know how to answer this, but how do we bake into our rankings and draft plans and all that? What's going on with COVID? I, is it, is it going to change roster construction? How important is it going to be to figure out you know, the offensive lines? There may be a lot of changes there. Just give me an overview of how you're approaching football in the COVID 2020. 
the reserve list stuff is interesting because they're saying it's either the person got COVID or they were just in contact with someone that may have had COVID. So we, you know, even though Stafford and Gardner are on that, are on that list, unfortunately, we have no idea if they have it or not. And we don't know who's asymptomatic, who's having legit issues. So honestly, it's one of these situations where I don't know whether we should be bumping or uh, bumping these guys up or down because they're getting COVID in August right now. I mean, theoretically, you could say, okay, now Stafford and Gardner got it. They should be good in a couple of weeks, which means we sh- hopefully should have to worry about this during the regular season. Or you could look at it and say, you know, who knows what this disease is going to do to them. Maybe they will be a lesser player now because they already got it. So without really knowing, you know, personally, just what to even do with that, the main strategy I've taken to kind of change things up in these drafts is if you are really in a situation where you know there's a solid backup, if you get Ezekiel Elliott and you have a Tony Pollard there, Kamara and Latavius Murray, Drake and Chase Edmonds, even in the quarterback rooms like Wentz and Jalen Hurts, if we can identify a depth chart with, you know, the stud you draft and then a handcuff, go ahead and reach on that handcuff by an extra round because more times than ever, I think, these handcuffs could be in play. You know, normally you're holding them on the bench just kind of not hoping for an injury, but if a sprained ankle comes this way, okay, then you can plug in this three-down back. Uh, But now more than ever, you know, these just weird circumstances uh, could be coming up. We talk about about every offseason, you know, when you're drafting in August, go ahead and get these handcuff guys just in case disaster strikes between then and the start of the regular season anyway. Now, just more imperative than ever, I think, to find as many of those fancy friendly backups as possible because you know when you're drafting in round 13 through 17 they're all pretty much start throws anyway so if you can get someone that just protects your normal roster that you're going to be carrying in the most Sundays I think that could be huge you know a lot of times I think the running back understudy can be a little bit I feel like sometimes it can be overrated before the draft season and then in the middle of the year when there's more definition we know where the good offenses are we know maybe clearly who the number two guys are in certain teams then maybe this kind of an understudy season in October where I want to lock in these guys. But I'm glad you mentioned Edmonds because he's very interesting to me for two reasons. One, I'm just excited about the offense. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for a running back here with, with the field spread out, a lot of running lanes. And even though I think Drake has, Kenyon Drake has an excellent chance to be a, a, a you know very much justifying where he's going in drafts right now, I, I'm very interested in drafting Drake. But I feel like if something were to befall him, if he were to get hurt, if, if he were to have fumbling issues, whatever it is, I feel like Edmonds is just so clearly the next guy up there. And we've already seen some of the tinges of his upside. He had that big game against the Giants last year. So he's become, when people say, well, who are you targeting in the middle rounds? Who are you targeting in you know, the second half of your drafts? He's actually become somebody I've already gotten invested in this year. Oh, I'm 100% with you, man. I did an article uh, last week or so just on my values. I took my rankings versus the ADP. Who, Where's the biggest difference? And Chase Edmonds was my number one running back just in terms of uh, ADP disparity. Uh, where's my rankings? Because look, one, I think you're right. I think it's a one-back backfield where if something happens to Kenyon Drake, Evans will be the guy there. But maybe we're wrong. Maybe Drake was only the guy there last year because uh, David Johnson was banged up. Edmonds was banged up. Even though they were active, you know, they weren't 100%. If that's the case, okay, now Edmonds is actually battling for some standalone value as a member of a committee as early as week one. Either way, him going in, you know, this late RB40 range where he is now, like, no, sign me up any day of the week because – both of his scenarios right now with only seventh rounder Eno Benjamin kind of somewhat competing there, but just everything we've seen in the past, you know, any running back out drafted outside those top three rounds, probably a pipe dream, hoping for too much production. Yeah, Drake and Edmonds, man. Bye, bye, bye. Now, until we get clarity on Stafford, does that make you nervous to, to draft a Kenny Galladay at ADP? Does it make you nervous to get invested in a Marvin Jones? Just give us your overview right now on the Lions offense. 
Now, like I said, I'm not treating this, you know, a player being placed on the COVID reserve list right now as a reason to stay away. If someone legit opts out, okay, let's have a discussion and, you know, look at the offense and what's going to change. But, no, I'm still down up these, this uh, Detroit Lions team as a sneaky contender to take that division. And sneaky contender just to be a really fun offense in general. I mean, seeing what they did last year, first season uh, with, with uh, Daryl Bavell running the show there, Stafford. Hey, it's crazy when you let one of the league's strongest arm quarterbacks cook, throw downfield, do his thing. I mean, only three other quarterbacks have more fancy points per game than Stafford last year. I believe it was like Lamar, Mahomes, and um, Deshaun Watson. Either way, fourth in fancy points per game when he was on the field last year. Now, I know the back injury. Now we got the COVID thing, and he's 32 years old. Like, this isn't ideal. But, you know, when the guy's going in that kind of QB 10, 13 range, like, why not take Stafford over – Brady and the kind of these other questionable pocket gunslingers. I just think that we know what we have in Detroit, assuming, you know, they're able to get on the field and it was a pretty much top 10 offense by anyone's standards when Stafford was healthy last year. Yeah. Another thing that really I like about this Detroit setup is that talented offensive players, but there isn't a large group of them. So the, the usage tree or the distribution of targets or, or usage in Detroit could be very narrow. And I think that's really advantageous for fantasy. We're going to be talking about, some more teams who may come into that heading in a little bit. And I'm not sure this Lions defense is going to stop anybody. So I like to talk about carnivals again. I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead because we're going to get to that in a second. I, I love when I can trust an offense and I feel like they're going to have to chase the game a little bit because maybe their defense can't stop anybody. I think of Tampa Bay last year being about as good of a case as, as ever, right? I mean, they, they had very narrow usage. They had a quarterback who really didn't you know, give a rip. He was just going to throw it downfield to two star receivers and, you know, fantasy uh, juiciness followed. Yeah, man, and I think that's what we could exa- exactly be what we're looking at here in Detroit. And you look at those first eight games that they had Stafford and Galladay, 62 targets, PPR wide receiver 11. But Marvin Jones, 57 targets and PPR wide receiver 14. And I know people want to say, oh, well, you know, he scored four touchdowns against the Vikings. That's inflating it. I mean, why? I I hate the practice of taking away guys' best games and best plays. Like, no, he did that because he's a great wide receiver. You don't see lesser wide receivers accidentally scoring four touchdowns in one game. And even if you don't want to look at these last eight games, honestly, the last three years, these guys have always been posting identical targets and pretty near fantasy production. Now, Kenny Galladay is definitely the better receiver. Like, he deserves to be ranked in the top 10. Jones deserves to not be ranked in the top 10. That's fine. But just the, again, overall ADP disparity between these two dudes is unwarranted based on what we've seen last year and, honestly, the three years before that. So I am happy to buy both these guys. I don't think it's an either-or situation. I think it's a go-get both of them because, I mean, Danny Amendola, we know what he is there. He's not exactly going to be flying up the depth chart. Only TJ Hawkinson is someone that's really going to seize a bunch of targets. But honestly, with the defense being as bad as it is, Stafford being as good as he is, this is a rare situation where I think we could see three potential high-end pass catchers all come from the same team. Totally agree. I think you make such a great point, too, that when people want to cherry-pick samples and and just take away, oh, well, if you take away this long touchdown and this other great play, and you know, if something is, is completely isolated from the rest of the sample, I get it. You know, if somebody had seven rotten games in a row and then this went bananas in the eighth game, okay, fine. I can see it in that case. But, you know, there's something to be said for signature significance. Not that many players have four touchdown games. Marvin Jones has two of them. The list of NFL players who have uh, four touchdown catches in a game twice, it's like three or four deep. You're like talking about Jerry Rice and like two other guys and Marvin Jones. So um, I, I think you're right to not count that against him 
Before we talk about some of these other uh, narrow usage tree teams and carnivals, I think we can get a lot of fancy goodness from those teams. I just want to quickly stop in Kansas City. Now, um, my colleagues, Matt and Liz, talked a lot about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the last episodes. I don't, I don't want to totally rehash this, but I feel like you know, we're in the industry. We, we, rankings are what we do. Edwards-Hilaire has been a big mover over the last few days because, of course, Williams is out. We know it's Andy Reid offense. Edwards-Hilaire, first-round pick. He looked really good at LSU. Uh, where does that does he go in the first round now? Are you are you thinking maybe the buzz is too hot and I want to walk away? Or are you more like, hey, everything connects here? I, I give me all the Edward Slayer I can get. More so the latter, man. I mean, I had him as my PPR RB fifteen before any of this happened, which was not exactly sky high, but not not low either. I just thought his worst case scenario was as the probable lead back and a two back committee inside the league's best offense. Now, we pretty much know he is going to be the lead back. I mean, I know these DeAndre Washington things are popping up, and he might be a decent later on value because it is an unclear situation. But, I mean, when Andy Reid comes to Brian Westbrook, when Patrick Mahomes is your preferred pick, when you're just a first-round running back in general, like, they aren't selected to sit on the bench, and everything is perfect here in terms of the offense. Like, we we all know that. And I just think it's outside of CMC uh, – Easy top five fantasy backs. CMC, Saquon, Zeke, Kamara, Dalvin Cook. Those have been our top five. I know some people have been, I guess, fidgety on Dalvin being in there, but top five for most of the offseason. Before this news, I had Kenyon Drake as a sixth guy just because I thought he had the best chance of getting that two, three down roll. We talked about this previously, true one back offense. I mean, the other guys, Derrick Henry, Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs, Aaron Jones, they, they are three down potential backs, but they won't probably get the targets that they should to be in that sixth spot. And then we have Miles Sanders and Austin Eckler. We kind of wonder about the overall touch ceiling with the rush attempts. I think now after having this, I have moved Clyde Eversler up from RB15 to RB6 because I think compared to all these other guys, he is most likely to have that three down roll. That's exactly what Kareem Hunt had when he was the lead guy in Kansas City. That's exactly what Damian Williams had in the playoffs and when they really wanted to win. I mean, look, this Andy Reid offense has been a fantasy cheat code for running backs last year, Damian was the RB 25 and PPR per game. But I mean, just go Kareem Hunt, Kareem Hunt. And before that Westbrook shady and Jamal Charles, like, we don't need to overthink this. It's even if you don't love Clyde Eversolita player, which I do think he's a legit talent in his own right. Even if you don't love him, look at everything about the situation and try to figure out a way how to fade it. I, I just think there's too much talent around him, too much volume. And again, just too much invested in him for him to from the bus this year. So they're the words of Ian Hartitz of Pro Football Focus, very high on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And he also mentioned that he was really high on Kenyon Drake, which is a stance that I'll also endorse. So there's a couple of guys that you, you may be targeting in the middle of your first round or maybe in the end of your first round, depending on the people in your draft room. Okay, let's get to some of these carnivals. Let's get to some of these teams that can score, can't really stop people. And if they have a narrow usage tree, all the better. And I, and I look at the Falcons. They check so many boxes for me. I trust their veteran quarterback. I feel like they only have two alpha receivers. I mean, maybe Russell Gage will you know, have some usefulness, but I, I don't think there's a lot of upside for Gage. A new tight end in Hayden Hurst, who you hinted on Twitter recently that maybe the, the buzz has gotten a little bit out of control with Hurst. Todd Gurley, who's like going to be the oldest 25 or 26-year-old running back in the league with all the stuff that he's been through with the injuries and just the mileage there. I feel like the Falcons, are gonna, it's just going to be a lot of Ryan, a lot of Julio, yeah, a, a lot of Ridley and a lot of like 47 pass attempt games. I, it just seems like a really, even a, a bunch of indoor games, right? I mean, they, obviously they play at home for their home schedule and, and their road schedule is very favorable as far as indoor and in warm weather and stuff like that. I don't I get too much in the weeds on that. I just feel like a lot of these boxes or boxes are getting checked out with the Falcons. What say you? 
No, I think I can answer it, man. Yeah, Hayden Hurst, I mean, okay, when he was going in that, you know, teen tight end range, I was fine with it. But now, top 10 ADP for this guy, and we've just never seen it out there. And I, I know just because you've never seen it isn't a good reason to just not think that the guy is capable of doing it. But, like, there is a legit chance that we see Julio, Ridley, Gage and Gurley finishing more targets than the Hurst. I mean, we just don't know. And, you know, when I see him going ahead of guys like Mike Jasicki, Noah Fan, that clear kind of more set, more potential to be their offensive number two pass game target. And then other just, you know, number three options and better offenses like Gronk, Jared Cook, and Hawkinson. I'm just kind of going to let someone else reach on Hayden Hurst in most drafts this year. Agree with you on Gurley. I think everyone's expecting Gurley to walk into that same like 90% snap role he had with McVay over the years. That has never been the case in Atlanta. And okay, maybe you think he's this, you know, enhanced talent over what Devontae Freeman brought to the fold. But I don't know, man. Freeman was pretty great for them over the years. And he only played 60% of the offensive snaps in 14 of 36 games when one of Tevin Coleman or Ido Smith were, were healthy. But when they got hurt. It was 13 of 15 games. Like they fed him the ball when there was no one else to give the ball to. But I think we're going to see Gurley, you know, maybe finish closer to that 200, 220 touch uh, mode versus the, you know, 300, 400 that people seem to be thinking he'll slide into. So, yeah, man, Ryan, Ridley, Julio. Now the question is, can Julio and Ridley do it? Absolutely, man. I've had Ridley ranked as my wide receiver 12 all offseason. You know, we've seen an average of 4.3 times per season where the team has two top 24 PPR wide receivers. Now, you know, if Ridley finishes close to that 24 mark, maybe it's a little bit of a bust, but four times a year that we have a team enable two of these high-end wide receivers, we know Julio's going to do it. Like, this dude has just been the most consistent dude in the league. And last year, once they got rid of Mohamed Sanu, Ridley was averaging 17.5 PPR points per game. The only real knock I hear on him is that his, like, yak, isn't great enough, but then someone does have a great yak and we say they're bound to regress. So I don't know, man. He's never going to have to face the top corners because Julio's there. Literally every game he's gotten at least eight targets. The dude's caught five balls, you know, over 70 yards. He's got like 10 touchdowns in those games. I have seen more than enough from Ridley to think he's a high-end player and can do this. We know Julio can. And when he got two wide receivers, Matty Ice is probably going to do his thing as well. Would you say you're more interested in Julio or Ridley at their current ADP? Probably Ridley. Just, you know, I mean, Julio, when you're priced that high, there's you better produce it. Otherwise, you're going to be going downhill. And to be fair, I think Julio is fine still. He was still elite in like all of his metrics last year, but it was a step back from him. I mean, this was a guy, uh, it was, it's kind of like Aaron Rodgers in the early part of the 2010s and 2015s. Like, when he, when he was that good, it's just hard to stay that good year after year. And we kind of saw that with Julio. It was the first time he finished with uh, under three yards per route run in, I think, four years. And look, it's not like any other wide receivers were doing that. Like, he fell from first to fifth. So, it's again, I don't think we're seeing the end of Julio Jones this year. But it's starting to get up there a little bit. You know, it's going to come eventually. I mean, how quick did A.J. Green just fall off the map? Different situations. But, you know, when these receivers are starting to get in their 30s, at some point you got to worry about the drop-off coming. Dude, what is scary, though, is you look at this offense and, you know, you mentioned Gage. I'm not super interested in him. But if one of Ridley or Julio go down, all of a sudden, like, there is no one here. And same thing with Gurley. Same thing with Ryan. Like, Atlanta offense, and this is, I guess, the only reason I'm a little hesitant in Matt Ryan. I just feel like they're one injury away, like, even more so than other teams for being in serious trouble before we get out of Atlanta just want to go back to Hurst for a second I'm generally reluctant when when pass catchers change teams when receivers change teams when tight ends change teams and look I get a lot of it a player changes teams he may be elevated in a role where you know a a wide receiver three becomes a wide receiver two a secondary receiver goes to a new team he's going to be the alpha dog 
you could argue that Hurst going to Atlanta is, is a shift for him because he obviously wasn't a primary target in Baltimore and Atlanta sees him that way. I generally want to see a year before they get acclimated before I pay for a player like that, unless the price is really good. Are you generally nervous about receivers or tight ends changing teams? Does it have you nervous about Hopkins this year? What's your stance on that theme in general? Oh yeah, man. Especially, and it's, this kind of goes to uh, Austin Hooper, but like the history of teams going out of their way to pay for tight ends is honestly like pretty hilarious. So I, I just did an article on this recently, going back to 2016. Here are the tight ends that teams have given at least 20 million dollars to in free agency: Ladarius Green, Martellus Bennett, Packers version, Jesse James with the Lions, Jimmy Graham with the Packers, Trey Burton with the Bears. Kobe Fleener with the Saints and now Austin Hooper to top them all off. Only a four-year sample. I think I don't think Hooper will be a total bust this year, but that's another guy. Like I'm going to let people pick before me. There are problems there, man. And tight end is not really like running back and wide receiver, where we see all the young dudes just consistently balling out. It's actually more like quarterback, where we see the kind of the eight, ten-year vets being the guys that you know consistently put up the production. So Hurst, he could do it, but he's an aging guy himself. It's not like he just put overwhelming production up at South Carolina State or I mean, not South Carolina, or that he has this, you know, wild athleticism. I just think, give me, you know, Chris Herndon or Johnny Smith several rounds later. No, it's totally reasonable. I, I don't think I'm going to have a lot of Hurst either. Uh, I mean, it's what's tempting is that we know how much Matt Ryan prioritized Austin Hooper in, in their time in Atlanta, but I, I just, without a lot of time to get up to speed and, Hurst, I mean, look, he was a first-round pick. I, it was kind of, it's just kind of crazy to think that he was drafted before Lamar Jackson, even though he came into the league at, at kind of an advanced age and all that. Um, but I think Hurst can be a good player in time. I'm just not going to proactively pay for it. It seems like the market is forcing you to do that. Uh, another team when I, I want to talk about narrow usage trees and a pos- possible carnival, I look at Carolina, okay? Not that many skill guys to, to really spread the ball around to. You know, McCaffrey's going to get a ton of touches. Everybody likes DJ Moore. We'll see how quickly... Robbie Anderson gets into the flow. Samuels is obviously a quality player. I'm not sure how good Teddy Bridgewater is and obviously new coaching staff, new, new offensive system and all that, but I know this defense is going to be horrible. So I, I just feel like, again, there could be volume there. They could be chasing the game there. I, I mean, they have two elite skill players that everybody loves in McCaffrey and in DJ Moore. What are you thinking about the Panthers this year? Just two? You're out on my guy, Curtis Samuel, already? Not necessarily. <laughs> I, think, I think he might be a nice – Post-type sleeper, right? I mean, last year, some people thought maybe he was the guy to get instead of more. I know, man. And I think so. Here's like, yeah, I'm with you. We don't know if Teddy is this awesome quarterback yet or anything, but I'm very confident he's an upgrade over Kyle Allen. And, you know, with the defense being as bad as going to be, and, you know, kudos to Carolina. They realized that they used every single draft pick on the defense, but that's not going to turn everything around when you're losing Keekley, Bradbury, pretty much every single vital guy on your team from a season ago. So can the offense do it? The biggest thing for me, man, was we're projecting all these guys, and that includes Curtis, uh, DJ Moore, McCaffrey, lesser extent. We know we're getting there. Those guys are too good. I think they're going to get the volume to be just fine. But, I mean, I just look at the continuity with every single, you know, passing game. Uh, head coach, offensive coordinator, lineman, quarterback, receivers. Chiefs were number one. Uh, Panthers are number 32, man. They have a bunch of new parts in here. We're, you know, in the weirdest offseason in recent memory, maybe ever in terms of lack of practice time. These guys are going to have to mesh. 
Might be ugly uh, to start, man. I, I think Teddy can do good things, even if he doesn't throw downfield. Uh, that's, you know, the big knock on him, which I think it's kind of undeserved. I mean, you know, Jimmy G and Breeze and a lot of these guys that are, you know, putting up numbers and great offenses don't throw downfield either. It's not really just Teddy. So even if, you know, we see them kind of slow out of the gate, Curtis Samuel, DJ McCaffrey, they got that ability after the catch to make this a very friendly offense for Bridgewater, even if he wants to, you know, keep dinking and ducking it down the field a little bit. Quickly on Curtis Samuel, I mean, look, this is what we needed, man. He was getting the RB snaps at the end of last year. Now, was that just because of, uh, you know, uh, Scott Scott Turner being in charge? Or was that because Carolina was finally realizing what they have in this guy, which is a fantasy-friendly running back wide receiver hybrid? Get through a couple rush attempts per game. Give him some more, you know, low dot slot work. I think Curtis could do great things in Carolina. And if not Carolina, man, I'm buying him the second he gets to a second team. Now, Robbie Anderson, we talked about the danger sometimes of these receivers changing teams. He has a very similar ADP to Samuel. Is it safe to say that you're looking at Samuel when those two guys are, are staring at you at the, the draft board? Yeah, man. I was hoping Robbie would go somewhere else and just kind of have a chance to be a true one because I do uh, appreciate his game and everything. But you just look at the contract he got there, and I mean, I think it's $12 million over two years. Like, it just wasn't any sort of money that would leave, that would lead you to believe he's going to be a, a num- anything close to a number one, particularly on this depth chart. I just think it makes sense when we look at the player's talents. Robbie will probably be the field stretcher. DJ is the kind of alpha one. Curtis is working more in the underneath areas. Now, maybe all three guys can do a little bit of all three things and we see more of a Kansas City situation where they just move all three wide receivers around everywhere but you know it's another good receiver to have in your offense I don't think I I think Robbie's the odd man out in fantasy land but yeah underrated amount of weapons let's see how quickly they can gel so we talked about Atlanta and Carolina remember both in the NFC South so that was one of the most fun divisions to be in last year because of the James Winston experience and and maybe this year with uh with if the Falcons and Panthers play like I do maybe we'll see a lot of pinball football in that division. Let's move to the NFC West. And look, Russell Wilson is a great player. The moment he he stepped on NFL field, I, they kind of kept the offense buttoned up for him rookie year. They've started to give him you know, a year in and year out. He gets a little bit more uh, control of this offense, but it's just never been a team that's going to throw the ball for 650 times. We know who Brian Schottenheimer is. We, we just know how this offense is structured. But I really get excited when I look at what who's Russell is thrown to because we, we know Tyler Lockett's a stud. We know DJ, DK Metcalf, who came into the league, you know, super athlete, maybe a little bit raw. He looked like an absolute monster at the end of last season. And I just don't see that much else here. I mean, I, you know, Greg Olson had a really nice career. He's like a borderline Hall of Famer, but I don't know what he has left. There isn't a major pass catching threat in the backfield, at least not that, that I see. So I think this could be a very, I don't know, the defense. I mean, obviously they made the big trade for Adams. I, I, I thought maybe the defense would be below average a, a few weeks ago. I'm still open-minded that maybe I'm not right on that. But what does excite me is I know I know Wilson will probably throw 500 passes and not you know, 670 passes. But I feel like Lockett and Metcalf are going to have such high target shares here. And, and again, the efficiency of Wilson targets is something we always want to get invested in. The narrow usage tree really has me excited in Seattle. Yeah, this might be the best example in the league of a true, uh, you know, narrow narrow usage tree. As you as you're talking about the defensive thing is interesting because you know we talked about Atlanta and Atlanta 
the one decent thing on their defense is their pass rush, uh, potentially. I mean, they still have Tack McKinley. He's been a bust, but, you know, he's got the first-round talent. They gave Dante Fowler a lot of money to come in there and kind of be maybe that consistent pressure guy that Vic Beasley never could be for them. So we got Atlanta trying to do the pass rush. And then in Seattle, you know, we got Shaq Griffin and now Jamal Adams in there. Maybe they can build a decent secondary. So, you know, uh, I would think just based on what we've seen the Patriots doing and some of these teams that have prioritized coverage over pass rush that Seattle will be in the better position. But it'll be interesting to keep uh, tabs on that moving forward. As for the offense, yeah, by DK. By Tyler Lockett, kind of like Detroit. I don't think there's any reason why you need to prioritize one over the other. Man, I do think DK Metcalf winds up being the alpha of this group. Just the things he was able to accomplish last year. It took five years for Russell Wilson to give Tyler Lockett at least 100 targets in a season. Took four years for him to get up to Doug Baldwin. Took zero for DK Metcalf. He got it in year one. So I know those guys had some stiffer competition, but you look at the end of the season. Six catches, 81 yards, touchdown. Eight catches, 160 yards, touchdown. Four catches, 50 nine yards for Metcalf he was just taken over at a certain point and while so much of his original usage was coming as that you know left wide receiver only running deep only kind of running you know nothing that exposed him as a bad player it's like okay good you're using your players that they should be uh, used now I wish Seattle could use their Hall of Fame quarterback more in the passing game but the usage for Metcalf was great to see. I agree with you. There's not really anything going on in the running back room. Maybe Disley stays healthy for once, but I mean, who knows there? Yeah, man. Lockett, Metcalf. My big issue, though, real quickly, and I'll send it back to you. Not only did the Seahawks hamstring Russell Wilson as a thrower, but last year he had seven yards on design runs. I mean, this dude averaged 151 yards on read options, different design runs from 2012 to 2018. Last season was really the first time we saw Schottenheimer just not even let Russ cook as a runner as well. So disappointing to see. That's why in fantasy land, man, I'm taking Russ kind of seventh in that last spot pretty much among the dual threat talents at the top. But good news, at least for Metcalf and Locke, is that no one should be shaved in their target share. Isn't it just crazy how many games we see with Seattle where they're not doing anything in the first half and then it just finally they throw the keys to Wilson and say, okay, make stuff up, win the game. You know, they let Russ cook, so to speak. And I just feel like I've seen that movie over and over again. He was even like campaigning for it, you know, during the Super Bowl last year. I mean, he went down to Miami, was doing interviews and was pretty much saying exactly what you said. Like, yeah, we get hurry up. You know, we start making plays, ballers being ballers and just wish we could do that earlier in the game. I don't get it, man. Russ has never missed a game since coming to the league because I mean, the only thing I can think because look, as much as, you know, myself and others make fun of Brian Schottenheimer, Pete Carroll for these decisions. Obviously, they know more football in their little finger than I ever will in my life. So, you know, NFL coach is not trying to take anything away from them. But the only thing I can come up with is that they're worried he's going to get hurt because, you know, you see Russ play. He's always scrambling around. It's obviously it's not the same, you know, three steps back, pop it out there and, you know, get the ball in your hands as quick as possible. But again, when the guy has never missed a game due to injury in his career, I just wish they could remove that assumption from their minds. Now, we, we talk a lot about Wilson, Metcalf, and Lockett. Do you, do you see anybody else on this offense you're likely to be in, you know, heavily invested in? Not really. If one of the tight ends could just clear up, you know, or we see injuries that clears one up fine, it's kind of like a – you know, Seattle and Houston too. Like if one, if Russ or Watson could ever just get themselves a consistent, like stud tight end, that dude would be scoring 10 touchdowns per year in his current landscape. Not really. The Chris Carson thing is what's interesting because he's going cheap enough that I don't mind taking a shot on shot at him, but 
Carlos Hyde signing kind of worries me, man. And, you know, this is all assuming Rashad Penny's not going to, you know, he is going to start the year on the pop or IR, wherever it might be. And, you know, we've seen Twitter clips of him running around looking all right. I just think that those two games last year where they did have Penny later in the season, and it was pretty much a two-back committee between him and Carson. And all those fumbles, decision to draft DJ Dallas, and not only the fourth round, but – I just think it's a short, much, much shorter leash for Carson than it was last year. Similar to Leonard Fournette. Like, I think we should be happy we got the 2019 year with Carson. Happy we got that with Fournette. Don't go chasing that again in 2020. Yeah, I, I don't think I said anything about the Titans in the pregame script before we got onto the pod. But when I think of Lockett, he always reminds me of A.J. Brown in the sense that Brown had a monster rookie year. It took him a while to figure out what Brown was. Uh, he didn't have a lot of targets, but his efficiency was through the roof. And that reminded me of the season that Lockett had in 2018. And people say, well, you know, what 158.3 quarterback rating, perfect quarterback rating when, when targeted in 2018. And, and people will say, well, he's never going to do that again. Okay, but he's going to get more targets. He didn't, he didn't get a ridiculous amount of targets. It's, I still think anybody who's a Tyler Lockett fan still feels like there's meat left on the bone, so to speak. But I think Tennessee, maybe you kind of shoehorn them into this narrow usage streak, and we know there'll be a lot of Derrick Henry. We know we would think that Brown would get a step up in opportunity this year. Some people like Johnny Smith. Some people don't. Some people are nervous about Tannehill having a major just regression hit this year. Everybody knows he, he won't be as good as he was last year. I guess the question, how much does Tannehill regress? But let me just ask you, when I see Brown, he just reminds me of Lockett a year ago, where, again, you're going to give up the efficiency, but hopefully a target bump makes up for that. Have you been drafting him proactively or reactively so far? Oh, yeah, man. I got AJ as my wide receiver nine this year. I'm with you, and I was on Lockett going to last year. When you see players be that great, at some point, you got to go ahead and chase that talent. We want the volume, and the volume's going to be there. It's not like the guy's going to see 70, 80 targets this season. And, you know, I think people are assuming Tannehill is going to regress, but, like, if you're assuming the Titans are going to regress as a football team, that's going to mean Tannehill's going to have to throw more. Now, it might not be, you know, as efficient as it was last year, and they're not going to be able to build these leads uh, like they were last year. But what that could mean is that we see more of a 500 team with A.J. Brown seeing more of a realistic wide receiver one target share. And, dude, just the yards after the catch numbers A.J. Brown put up last year were unlike anything we've seen. I mean, it broke the PFF database. Only guy that was any close was 2012 Percy Harvin. And when you think about the differences in those guys, I mean, one of them, Percy, is getting bubble screens and kind of stuff around the line. A.J. Brown was getting all of his stuff like down the field on ends and posts and just being a big baller breaking away from dudes downfield. We saw you know them opening up as the season went on. He finally got full-time playing time uh, in the second half of the year, did all those things. I don't know if there's really, you know, it's him, Johnny Smith, and Derrick Henry. That's the offense. It's condensed. Maybe Corey Davis gets going, but I think we've kind of seen that come and go. A.J. Brown's the alpha, man. I'm buying. One last possible carnival. And again, we, we don't really know what the status of Minshew is going to be when the season starts. But, you know, when I see, think of a player who had that, DGAF uh, DNA, you know, Minshew, you know, not afraid to run, not afraid to throw into coverage, give his player a chance to make a play. We saw DJ Chark explode in his second year in turn. I, I think he's just a legitimate star. I'd, I'd feel better if I, I liked some of the secondary receivers in Jacksonville, although there's some new guys there. We'll, we'll see if anybody pops or not. I just think Minshew might just be, if not necessarily a special player by NFL standards, I think he might be a special player by fantasy standards where he just again just nothing bothers him he can handle the rush he's not afraid to run I think up tempo will really fit nicely with what he does 
And Chark, maybe, you know, look, it's you worry about when the team only has one major downfield weapon. And again, we'll see how some of the unheralded receivers pan out in Jacksonville. But I think Chark maybe might be a superstar. He, he seemed to have some of that tinge last year. I don't know anybody who trusts Leonard Fournette. And that Jacksonville defense that was so good that had them almost in the Super Bowl a few years ago, that's been completely dismantled, showing how windows in the NFL can be so small, right? I mean, they're rebuilding in Jacksonville. They, they have four and 12 written all over them. But I, I can't help but think that Minshew and Chark are going to have, they're going to really eat this season. 2020 Minshew and Chark might just be, you know, like 2019 Fitzpatrick and Parker from Miami. Great comp. A, I love it. Just a yellow ball quarterback with an alpha wide receiver that we've seen do it all. I mean, Chark, you know, he's just so big, so fast. He was making contested catches. He had some of that, like that yak he was picking up in week one just really opened up my eyes because didn't do anything as a rookie. You know, there were people coming out that thought he'd just be this kind of only field stretcher guy. And it's like, no, it turns out he's got the 4-3 speed. He can run by you, but he can also jump over you as well. I'm with you, man. I got Chark inside my top 20, and sometimes I don't feel like that's high enough. Uh, as for the rest of the guys, you know, D.D. Westbrook, I think is at most, most uh, risk of losing snaps to uh, LaVisca Chenault. Seems like a fun guy, man, pulling up some of Chenault's tape. I mean, he almost looks like Alvin Kamara running the ball. Maybe that's just because he got those long uh, tape strips going up and down his arms. I'm not comping him to Alvin or anything like that. But truly, with the ball in his hands, he is special. And that's why, you know, in college, he was getting all those wild uh, cat snaps. Chris Conley, you know, he's just kind of there to be a field-stretching guy, even though he is uh, pretty talented. Fournette, yeah, man, I'm out on that. I think just the targets are going to be cut more than half. And I know everyone says, oh, Chris Thompson's going to get hurt. He's played at least 10 games in five straight seasons. It's not like the dude can't stay healthy at all. And last year, last year, weeks one through five before Jay Gruden got fired, only Austin Eckler and McCaffrey have more targets than Chris Thompson. Like he loves checking the ball down in this guy. And it's just an organization. Like you said, it's a four and 12 team. Obviously like no players will tank. Gardner's going to be going out there trying the ball every single play. It's too physical of a game to tank, but this organization wants to lose. I'm worried that, you know, week five comes around their own five. Fournette goes to his press conference after the game, says the wrong thing again. And they, they just say, we're done with this. And you know, it's, it's that like, any name another running back in the league that has this many issues with their front office. Like it's a true concern for me. I'm worried about him even finishing the season. You know, it's and all right, positive touchdown regression. That's implying that the offense is going to be like around the goal line a bunch. It wasn't like Fournette was just so 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 unlucky all the time, although he was. But the biggest issue was just lack of scoring volume because it was a bad offense. So yeah, man, Minshew, prime late round quarterback. Fifth in rushing yards among QBs last year. I agree with you. He, like the Tony Romo comparisons are kind of they're viable. This dude was tenth under pressure uh, in QB rating per PFF, number one when throwing deep. Only guy better than Mahomes. Saw enough from Gardner. Saw enough from Chark. That I am fine buying those two Jaguars in 2020. If we're not in on Fournette, can that push us to Armstead? Can that push us to Thompson? Remember Thompson coming over with Jay Gruden, who's now the offensive coordinator in Jacksonville. So maybe there's. A tie in there. If you were out on Fournette, is there a buying opportunity in this backfield? Yeah, careful, man. I, I've, I've said that on Twitter a few times, talking about Armstead, and then all these divine Ozigbo truthers come out of the woodworks. Okay, to, sure, uh, sure. Give me some crap. But uh, no, I think Armstead's a reasonable guy to get behind there. And, you know, we were talking at the start of the show about, you know, uh, COVID precautions, but especially just a Fournette precaution. I mean, if you are going to go ahead and, you know, you go zero RB and maybe Fournette falls to you in the fourth or something like that, like you need to get Armstead at that point. Because, again, I do think his just – he's got a three-down job which is great, but his chances of keeping that three-down job for 16 games, I think, are minimal. So I do think it's Armstead is the next man up to be that bell cow. Thompson's going to just kind of be in that scat back role either way. 
think you have time to duck in maybe one more narrow usage tree from a team that I think may have trouble stopping people. Devontae Parker just had a, a breakout year. Uh, Fitzpatrick, you know, last seen knocking the Patriots out of the first round by. Uh, Gasecki had a really nice year as kind of a, a hybrid tight end. They have a couple of running backs with talent, but, you know, Howard and Breida, you, you wouldn't think they'd have complete control of the offense. I don't know when two is going to play. Uh, I still think Fitzpatrick could be a really fun fantasy, maybe better for fantasy than than real life. Is there carnival potential in Miami? And are you buying on Parker after his breakout season? I think so, man. And it's it's tricky because, you know, the one guy we didn't mention, Preston Williams, I think he's viable sure. to be buying too, just how cheap he is uh, right now. I do think that it's a battle between Jasicki and Williams to be the number two. I think Parker's the undisputed alpha on this team. I understand Williams like actually was going uh, tit for tat with Parker the first eight games of last year. But when you're out there roasting Stephon Gilmore, Tredavious White, and just, you know, getting that backing from the organization with the long-term contract deal that Parker did get at the end of last season. I mean, come on, he is the number one there. And it's now a great offense to be a number one for new offensive coordinator, Chan Gailey. I mean, you look at his last six number one wide receivers, Dwayne Bowe, Stevie Johnson, Brandon Marshall. All these dudes were clearing 128 targets per game. And we just had some stupid seasons of Brandon Marshall getting 173 targets in one season. So I'm just interested to see what they do under center, man, because, Tua, you know, we're seeing apparently he's healthy enough to come in and compete for that starting one number one job. But I just feel like if they really wanted to play it safe with him, keep two on the bench, let, let Fitzpatrick do another season of Yolo Ball, it doesn't even seem like a situation where the fan base will even be all that angry if they just really wanted to build up for 2021. So a little bit of a concern, I guess, uh, under center, just who's going to start more games. But either it's Fitzpatrick, who we know, Parker, wide receiver two last season, you know, after Fitzpatrick took over in week seven or Tua, who feasibly is going to increase the ceiling of the entire offense through being a top five overall pick. So all in on Parker and then Preston is just so uh, cheap behind him. Yeah, let's do it. I think Brandon, I'm glad you mentioned Brandon Marshall. I think he's historically a little bit underrated, bounced around the league. And sometimes there are some issues, mercurial personality, but I mean, he produced just everywhere he went. And a lot of times it was right away and, and not always with the best surrounding cast. I, I think Brandon Marshall is just a little bit historically underrated. Uh, really quick, do you think the Chan Gailey's history with tight ends? I, this is something where I, I think the best coaches go personnel to scheme and not scheme to personnel. Chan Gailey doesn't have a lot of experience with getting a lot of production from tight ends. You know, Gusecki, again, kind of a hybrid because they'll spill him out wide a lot. Does Gailey make you nervous about what what Gusecki might do this year? Yeah, awesome point on Brandon Marshall. They, they hate on the guy for never winning a playoff game. Like I don't think that was Brandon Marshall's fault. No one could cover the dude for over a decade. Give him a freaking break. But, yeah, um, got caught up. Oh, Gusecki, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not like he only plays some snaps out wide, man. 76% of his snaps last year were in the slot or out wide. The only concern with Jaseki would be week one comes around and we see him with like a 50% snap rate because Albert Wilson, who is now seemingly healthy after being really banged up last year, emerges as the true slot receiver. I'm not, I'm not worried about the past tight end usage because I don't think Gusecki is a tight end. I think he is their slot receiver. I'm more worried about Albert Wilson potentially snagging that role. And, man, there's a guy that had a bunch of hype coming into last season, and he was just so banged up he couldn't really do anything. Started to come on a little bit towards the end. I mean, I don't think, you know, he's even worth drafting in most season-long leagues. But if you find yourself in one of these 25-round, you know, best ball drafts, give uh, Albert Wilson a little holler. The words of Ian Hartitz, who's been our guest tonight. He's a fine fantasy football analyst over at Pro Football Focus. He's on Twitter 
at iHartitz, H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. Ian, uh, tell our listeners what you're working on over at PFF. Yeah, check me out on Twitter. I'll send out all the articles and podcasts there. But check out the uh, PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I do new shows every Tuesday and Thursday with some team previews out throughout uh, the rest of the week with a fantasy football focus, of course. Um, tomorrow I have out my 50 bold predictions – or 32 uh, bold predictions for every team. Now, I guess – I think they're bold. I want to do a prediction that literally like reflects my rankings, not saying, okay, Devontae Parker could be a top five wide receiver. Like he could be, but who do I truly, you know, have these kind of bolder predictions for against the industry? James Connors, my RB 14, AJ Brown's my wide receiver nine. You know, we, we want to be bold and, you know, say a lot of things on Twitter, but it kind of comes back to where you're ranking those guys at the end of the day. So I wanted to be, you know, real upfront about who I'm feeling uh, good about. So check that out. And yeah, thanks so much for having me on Scott. This was fun, man. Uh, my pleasure. We'll have to, uh, do a home and home and have me on the PFF podcast. And we've already talked about that. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And if you do like podcasts, we get a lot of podcasts coming your way at Yahoo Sports. Of course, I host the Yahoo Fantasy Baseball podcast. We have an outstanding guest lined up for this week. I hope you check that out. Uh, the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler is just outstanding. The Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our, and our old friend Pat Forties, now at Sports Illustrated. WTF, can't beat those guys talking college sports. Of course, you can catch me on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. You can follow the Yahoo account at Yahoo Fantasy. And tomorrow, Andy Behrens takes over the ship. He'll be joined by Chris Raybon of the Action Network. So we'll have a great conversation coming at you there. Don't want to miss that out. Until then, for Ian, for Ragu, our producer, keep us on the air and sounding good. I am Scott Pianowski, and we are out. 